Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening. You're listening to another podcast episode of Bright Lights, Consumer Trends in Conversation with Element 54. I'm your host, Julian Ng. In today's episode of Food Futures, where we discuss consumer trends from the perspective of different industry experts, we have two very special guests, a dynamic duo of a father, Tony Wei, and son, Caleb Wei, who are both professional chefs. Welcome, Tony and Caleb. Thank you again for being guests on our show today. To start, we would love to hear a little bit about what you're currently doing and how you became passionate about food. Let's start with Tony. I uh, be- became passionate about food uh, a while ago, but uh, what really started, I was, I took a little part-time job in a restaurant and it just really hooked me in. So I went to culinary school and uh uh, it just blossomed from there. I went from restaurant to being a, a chef quite quickly. And uh, then I went straight into teaching where I'm doing now and loving every minute of it. And what about you, Caleb? Um, yeah, I I would bounce around from, from restaurant jobs anyway. I, would, I was serving when I was pretty young. And then um, as a university student, I, I also took a a part-time job, uh, dishwashing. And then, uh, one day, uh, a dude on the line didn't show up. So I had to take his place. And then basically I've, I've been working on the line ever since. Um, and, uh, I'm working in restaurants. So, uh, yeah, I sort of fell into it, but, uh, once you, once you start doing it, it's kind of hard to, to stop. And what do you love the most about your job? Uh, Ooh, a lot. Probably the pace, um, the people. Uh, it, I really think that people who work in, in restaurants are like a sort of a different, a different breed, and they're and they're <laughs> really, really like kind of everyone's a little crazy, but in like good way. Because I think you need to be a little bit to to get the job done. Uh, the people, the pace, also just working with food every day, sort of creating something every day. Uh, the challenges there's always a challenge and you know it's never a dull moment we know that the food industry um has been hugely impacted by COVID-19 in particular the restaurant business and food service overall can you tell me a little bit more about how this has impacted your industry from your point of view Caleb you want to go first yeah um yeah so I've been I've been working for a restaurant this restaurant for uh, over a year now and um Obviously, we took two months off. Uh, it took a really big hit in terms of, uh, in, in that perspective. And coming back, it's been uh, it's slightly frustrating. Um, I mean, obviously, our, our main concern is making sure everyone is safe, first of all. And then, obviously, second of all, we still need to generate some sort of revenue. Um, it's So, in terms of our policies in place. Number one is safety. So we've been, we've been very slow in terms of seating people inside. Um, we've been really taking our time to ensure that every, everything's done correctly. Uh, but you know, it's, it's still sort of fighting a losing battle in terms of the, on the revenue side. Uh, obviously we've turned to delivery apps or takeout apps and, um, those, those apps take a large commission, 
Uh, also, people just don't really want to eat out as much anymore. Um, so we're we're lo- essentially it's it's like fighting fighting uphill. I I see it as the industry has been hit hard, very hard. Um, but it actually is actually going to get worse for for a lot of restaurants. And you hit it right on the head, Caleb. They they're enduring more costs and making less money. So every turn they have to do something to um, make sure they can bring in people, but yet they can't bring in more people. So they're they're like you said, winning a losing battle. However, I mean this is their livelihood. So they have to do everything they can to to stay open. Uh, there's a lot of restaurants that haven't been able to stay open, and they are really struggling with uh, the uprise now again. Uh, they are going to have it even harder for the winter because a lot of the patios that the government was gracious to let them open up, that will be lost. Um, we really have to get a control on the the numbers. So by limiting the, the numbers of people and everything is great, uh, but it affects restaurants more and more on a daily basis than, say, like a party that you have once. So it, it is just... Right now, people struggling just to stay afloat, just enough to pay their employees, pay their food costs. Uh, a lot of restaurateurs are not making any money. They're just making enough, hopefully, to, to pay the bills and keep their doors open for their employees, really. Yeah, we've. Um, I'm able to say that I work for two owners who are really take care of their staff. Even when the, the first sort of quarantine shutdown happened, they said, uh, if you guys like called me right away, made sure you know I was financially like stable, made sure I was good, um, and they've really like gone leaps and bounds to make sure that uh, we're good. Obviously, um, on Saturday, the uh, new new laws came into effect in Ontario, where all restaurants have to last call by eleven, and and everyone has to be out of the door by twelve, um, and for our restaurant, and specifically, we're known more as a late night sort of spot where, you know, it, we're open till two no matter what every day. And you can come in late at night and get a, and get a bite to eat. Um, so obviously, we can't do that now. So that means we're, we're missing out on about three hours worth of, of revenue that we could potentially have. Uh, but obviously, everyone's safety is a priority. And if the government mandates that this is what we have to do, then, you know, this is what we have to do. And they're also clearly willing to close restaurants, the health ministry mm-hmm. said, which is, a, I think, a positive if people aren't abiding by the laws that are put in place. Like, we're very strict about it at our restaurant, um, but there's videos of, of, like, a party at a downtown restaurant in Toronto uh, where there's nobody wearing a mask. None of the servers are wearing masks. Everyone is just, uh, it's like a giant party in there, and it's like nothing's happening in, in a full room. So what is um, your perspective or do you have any advice for the food service industry in terms of ways to stay afloat right now? Well, I think the best thing to do is look at uh, the government programs because the government is helping businesses that are trying to stay open. They are doing lots for them. Um, Know that uh, the government will help them. I mean, at the same time, they have to 
stay open. So, I mean, they're going to have to try to do as much takeout business. Um, they're just going to have to adhere to the rules and regulations. There, There isn't much else they can do except for really bunker down and try to get through it, unfortunately. There's going to be some situations where you have to take less. That's just what it is right now, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, the I guess the main problem is that the overhead is so expensive and uh, it, or takes up so much of a restaurant. Even staffing takes up a lot. Um, I work with a really tight-knit crew, so, you know, we can we can sort of get away with being understaffed because we all are very serious about our job, but I, I don't even, yeah, be, be, be careful with, with how, how much you're staffing a restaurant, I guess is the most important one. You can't, can't have a bunch of people just, just hanging around. Right. So um, as with any service industry, often it is the, um, the actual staff or employees that is the biggest overhead. What about uh, the use of different ingredients? So when you think about what you're currently cooking and serving, has that changed since COVID? And are there any cost reduction, um, I guess, best practices in place as it relates to the actual food you're serving? Well, unfortunately, all produce has gone up in price. Um, And we have had to, especially with, with, right, like the takeout apps, or delivery apps, we've had to raise prices a little bit because they do take a very large commission. So are you serving up different menu items, um, things where the ingredients might be costing less? I think simplicity has come along. Uh, Of course, restaurant menus have shortened because why carry a multitude of ingredients when uh, it it could be costing more to bring them in, Uh, the quality of it could be less. So they're simplifying their menus for sure, first of all. Um, and Caleb will know this. Uh, for delivery, not everything travels well. So why bring in something that is going to end up to the customer looking a mess when it gets to them? So there's a couple of things. I mean, just the purveyors and everything aren't even bringing in as much as they once were. Everything is less. Caleb? Yeah, it's um, trying to source it from other places and, and trying to just get the best deal, really, on stuff. Yeah, I, I would say we're, we're changing our menu more based on what people would like. So switching up, you know, taking one thing off, adding another, like adding a sandwich is, is a lot easier uh, for takeout, um, which, you know, a lot of it means a lot of my favorite things on the menu have to get taken off and replaced with something that is good really good um, but isn't exactly what our restaurant you know was, or what our restaurant was known for like you know doing a ceviche we would rather not send a ceviche out uh, and, and you know let it sit out for 45 minutes in a bag with a bunch of warm other you know takeout stuff so it's more about I mean we could send it out but you know we'd rather not so it's all it's all this like this this game of what works and what doesn't and you know sourcing oh these we can't get oh like i don't know a bag of onions is too expensive here we have to source it from somewhere else and and sort of driving around the city trying to find the cheapest bag of onions because it really does make the difference right now 
So it really takes the um, creativity, Caleb, that you had mentioned about your, mm -hmm. your role to a whole different level. Yeah, less less on less on the the cooking, more on the sourcing, I guess. Yeah. So Tony, when you mentioned um, a return to simplicity, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? What would that, what does that look like in terms of ingredients? Well, Caleb had mentioned it, like a ceviche that they're serving at the restaurant. They're they're resourcing going back to like a sandwich, you know, um, things that travel well. The the items that are selling are chicken and, and things that people are used to eating at home. And that's what they usually order at home. Uh, I haven't been to any fine dining restaurants, so I don't know what they're doing per se, as far as like foie gras and everything, That that kind of thing isn't going to hold up on delivery. It's not going to be, you know, someone who is living now on a COVID budget, let's say is going to go out and have a six course tasting menu. They're going to go out and have a nice, uh, maybe, uh, appetizer main course and dessert. And that would be it, you know? So the simplicity of eating is, is and I see it in, when I go shopping, um, to say like a Loblaws who used to have all kinds of different mushrooms and that they're down to having three kinds of mushrooms, for example. Uh, the, it, it's just getting where people are not necessarily yeah, they're trying to watch their budgets a little bit more. So the more expensive items get trimmed down. That's what I mean by simplicity, mostly. Well, also, places like Noma, they turn into a burger restaurant, right? Yep, they exactly. Used be, like, used to be a, a very fine dining restaurant, and now it's not the burger restaurant because, you know, that's what makes that what, that's what makes the most sense. Exactly. So do you really see that, for example, the burger um, case, that making more sense because of budgetary constraints so that when people aren't cooking at home and they won't feel like ordering something out, they're just trying to choose the cheapest option possible, but at least they didn't cook it? Or is it that they're truly craving burgers more? I feel like a burger is a middle ground between something that someone would, doesn't want to make at home and something that's readily available. So it's I think a burger is like a go-to thing uh, for people. And it's for restaurants, you know, it's a little bit easier to execute than a tasting menu. I, I think what people are ordering are a lot the same that they always have been ordering. It, it, I, I would be very curious to see, but uh, if you look at the restaurants online and everything, there's, of course, a lot of restaurants trying to get online, but the restaurants that are still doing well are your sushi restaurants that – you know, who makes sushi at home except for chefs and everything. Uh, the burger places, uh, the wings, those are still going very well. Um, so that's where you'll see a lot of, like you said, Caleb Noma doing burgers instead of trying to have people come in to, to eat a tasting menu. You know, why not come in and have a burger you're in and out or take a burger to go? Uh, I think the business mentality, even just to have customers come into your restaurant, uh, the logistics of it for the restaurant costs them a lot more to have people in there because you have to have someone greeting them, taking their names. They have to make sure that they wipe their hands with the sanitizer at the start, wearing your mask. They'll sit them. And then as soon as the people are gone, you have to clean it very thoroughly, which they should be doing anyways, but now so, now so more than ever. So it's interesting you should...
mention the sushi because um, we had not ordered anything for the longest time, um, you know, since COVID started. And the first thing we did choose to order was actually sushi. And that's because one of our friends um, mentioned it and they said, oh, let's do sushi takeout and we can eat it um, outside in the backyard. And that, when they showed up with the sushi platter, they told me that the place was packed. Like there was a lineup outside the door and it's not a sit-in restaurant. It never was. But she was telling me how many people they had working there and the number of, they keep these little, looks like a post-it, right? Just the notes about the orders coming in by the phone. And all across the counter, you could see at least 30 of these yellow um, post-its with different like ticket numbers. And so they were doing really well and they continue to be super busy every day. Yeah, the people who are set up for takeout as their business model, they haven't skipped a beat. Even right at the start, you can see pizza delivery guys out the same number as before, possibly even more. Year. Yeah. So they they were their business plan was takeout and delivery right off the bat. That's the business that has been doing well. You see a lot of restaurants that have been trying to catch up to that, um, but they always had the food that was comparable to being sent out. And, and being warm. They had the delivery systems in place. Uh, those places have, haven't really skipped a beat, which is great because they probably even did some hiring throughout all of this, which has mm -hmm. helped the industry a little bit. And they didn't have to endure the same costs because their business model is almost set for something like this. That's a very good point. So talking a little bit about the uh, delivery and you know, a way for restaurants to survive if they were not currently set up to be takeout and delivery. You mentioned the partnerships with the delivery, I guess, services or apps, where it seems to be a, something that's necessary to help survive. I guess the customers that are coming in through those delivery services, are they different customers than what you would have had before? Or are they your same customers, but now doing takeout? Even with takeout, we are slower than we used to be. I assume it's sort of like half and half. A lot of people probably going through the app don't expect to see us on there. So when they do, you know, maybe they'll order, they'll order from us. Um, and then maybe it's people who've never been. It, it's, it's really hard to say. I, I know actually like a lot of faces of people that would come in uh, regularly and, and that, but I don't know any of their names. But their names come up on Uber. I just, I can't recognize any of them. Overall, I think that it, in terms of takeout, we have some menu items that are great for it, some that maybe people don't really want to order because, you know, Uber Uber is expensive. So, yeah, it's it's really hard to say. Yeah, I, I bet you're exactly right, though, Caleb. I mean, you'll probably see, especially for your restaurant that has never really did takeout before this. Never. Probably, not even, we don't even take we don't even take reservations before or we still don't. Um, we never had a phone. You know, it was we would open at six. You come in, you know, there's a wait list. You got to wait. Um, but now we sort of switched everything and we're doing delivery and we have a very small line and we get, we can get overrun pretty quickly. And it happened last night. We got a bunch of Uber orders. So we get busy and then there's people sitting in the restaurant and we, you know, we have to accommodate them and, and then we're just sort of lost because we get overrun and then we're standing there with like 40 Uber tickets in our face. And we're like, what do we do? And then we don't even make that much money from it. So it's sort of like disheartening, you know? 
So I bet to the question though, I bet a lot of your customers or knew the restaurant. And then there's probably those few that are looking through because you get to look at their menus before you go. And I bet, yeah, I bet you got some new customers from it, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it probably is still the customers that really like the food and wanted to support. I think there's a lot of people doing it that way. Support has been a, a big thing for customers to support their local restaurants who are trying to go online. And like you said, Caleb, it's a lot of people, restaurants with their half foot in the door because they're just trying to survive. They're, they're trying to do the takeout. They're trying, they're extending their business platform with not as much staff. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying from a logistics side from what it's like running a line. There's very much a flow to cooking and, and working on the line. And you see people, you know, everything should work. Everything should, should sort of go in one solid fluid motion. But, you know, uh, Uber sort of doesn't have that for us, sort of messes us up. There's, yeah, so there's no, there's no real natural flow to to working yeah. on the line anymore. We could have a full restaurant and Uber orders can keep coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in. And then you look at the times where there's no orders coming in. So yeah. it, it's not like you can say, well, let's take the Uber off. It's money that you need to generate no matter what. Exactly. So Tony, what about how it affects your culinary school? Because the education sector, if you think about the broad education sector, that has also been hugely impacted in terms of the way of doing business. How has COVID affected you? Most like everything else, uh, distancing is a big part. So you can't accept as many students. Uh, There is some funding that's going to be happening. But uh, right now they're focused on funding for everyone. So the funding for schooling is is down. Uh, People don't have an excess of money to go to school unless, I mean, and at the same time, if you look at the industry, it's not an industry where you're going to hurry and go get a job which has always been the case for culinary is you go to culinary school, you go out and you get a job. It's pretty much a given. That's not the case now. So if anyone's doing their due diligence and researching, this is not the sector where you want to come out of school right now. So that has really affected what people are looking at for schooling wise. So yeah, I mean, you're getting less people that are allowed in the school there's less people applying because the jobs aren't there. So we, we've been affected as much as everyone else. It seems like culinary school is one of those type of disciplines where you would really want to be in person. Have you had to move to virtual classes at all during COVID? Or I've done a, a few classes online using Zoom and everything where I set up my camera in my kitchen. I have a camera that goes down on top of my cutting board and but it really limits you what you can do for sure I mean there's no hands-on so it, it's hard to see people when they're making the mistakes and you can fix it uh, that's the biggest part of cooking especially in culinary school is being there for when they make the mistake it's not I mean you can go on YouTube and see a million videos of how to but trying to replicate that how to is takes time it takes the mistakes you know to to flay a fish i could show someone on zoom how to flay a fish but i can almost guarantee that they're not going to flay the fish properly for the first few times but being there you can help them expedite the process and and you can you can be there hands-on so yeah it it is not the same um it's like 
having a cookbook. You can read the recipe. It doesn't need necessarily mean you're going to do it right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I think it also applies to a lot of other areas out there. Even if you think about something like all the um, fitness classes that have gone virtual, um, if someone had never done yoga before and they tried to follow a YouTube video, yeah, they could mm-hmm. try to mirror those moves, but you don't have the benefit of an instructor that corrects your posture, what you're doing wrong. And you really won't realize that unless you you were already experienced that before COVID For started. Sure. Okay, so I just have a couple more questions to uh, before we wrap up. One okay. is around... Um, I mean, it's related to what we had been talking about earlier, but we know that more people were cooking at home during COVID and probably still are. Um, and yet, you know, every once in a while, people have the desire to break away from the cooking and try something different or just have a break. So they would order out. And of course, there's also the other way around where there are people that are so tired of cooking that they're really craving just ordering more and more and getting maybe back to where they used to be. In terms of an overall trend, which direction do you see that headed? Do you see it more that people are going to get used to cooking from home and fall into routine with a certain amount of experimentation and being happy with that? Or that they get tired of cooking because they've been doing it for so long for, let's say, two or three meals a day, that when we're coming out of COVID, that there's going to be more demand or even now more demand for eating at restaurants, whether it be taking out or delivery? I think at the end, if we say at the end of this, uh, people are going to be very tired of cooking at home because when you say cooking at home and being adventurous is hard for most people because they don't collect the spices and herbs and everything. that, And that's what makes experimental cooking necessary if you look at my kitchen per se probably caleb's kitchen per se i have two drawers full of just spices i have vinegars and oils i have a collection of the things that make experimental cooking easy and when you're cooking at home you tend to fall into making the same thing over and over and over again so at the end when people are feel like covid is over which i hope it's very soon um, they're going to be rushing out to try new things and get out of the house to to eat whatever they don't cook. <laughs> I feel like also, you know, now's the perfect time to like start, even if you make the same thing over and over again. But you know, like try challenging yourself and make oh make your own pasta. It's not that it's pretty easy. Um, you know, start making stuff from scratch. It's a lot more fun. It tastes a lot better. Even if those people aren't going to eat out, I hope at least that they're like trying something new and, and really pushing themselves because that's that's what's fun about cooking. Yeah, and then there are all those people in between. So it's like we love to cook in our household, but when you mm-hmm. have to do it meal after meal and there's a expectation to serve the family, it there's a chore aspect that seems to creep into it anyway. For sure. Well, even at home for cooks, I mean, if you have a spouse or, or someone that you're cooking for or with, there's dietitian re- restrictions. There, There's many things you have to look at. In a restaurant, we're not looking to, to make someone healthy necessarily all the time. We're looking to have them uh, uh, indulge, which you can't do every night. You can't have... Uh, fogger every night but in a restaurant I can cook it every night you know so there there's a lot of things that you 
are dealing with at home cooking where when you go into a restaurant, you're, you're putting your hands up and almost saying, I'm going to eat whatever they serve me. You know, that's what you're going out to experience a lot of the times. So at home cooking, it, it is a lot of the time different. Uh, for example, I would use butter like crazy in school, but I hardly use any butter at home because you, you just can't eat that same way every day at home. And that's the kind of the expectation of cooking at home too. You're, you're cooking for your health. You're cooking for your lifestyle. Where in restaurants, you're, that's sometimes your cheat day or, or your, you know, allowing you to go out and indulge. So if you could spread one message broadly to our listeners with respect to food and nutrition, what would it be? All right. I think nutrition is obviously a big part of life and everything. Um, but I think stress is also a big part of life. Um, if you stress about what you're eating constantly, um, I, I think you have to look at that part of it. You know, if you're going to eat something and feel guilty about it, then probably don't eat it. But if you enjoyed something, and I think it's okay. Yes, yeah, so obviously nutrition is a big thing, especially nowadays with everything that uh, people talk about, vegan and, and meat-free and stuff like that. There's certainly a cadence to it that you, you could look at. But I, I think being stress-free about what you eat is, is a big part of it. As someone who works in the restaurant industry, I would just you know, support, support small restaurants. You know, we're, we're still here. We're trying our best to stick around. And we, we appreciate, you know, everyone who's come in or has ordered Uber or, or, or ordered anything from us. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, okay. Thank you so much to uh, both of you for your time. Really appreciate and enjoyed this conversation. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. I have three key takeaways. Number one, restaurants have had to adapt their offerings to survive during COVID-19. This includes, as an example, a return to simpler ingredients and simpler dishes for several reasons, including cost containment, customer demand due to less disposable income, sourcing availability, and ensuring that food travels well during delivery. For marketers and other businesses, I think this raises the important point of being open to challenging existing business models and offerings to meet current consumer needs and finding a way to do so while still staying true to the core values of the company. Point number two, as Caleb and Tony discussed, the unpredictability of orders each day between in-person dining and delivery tends to disrupt the natural flow of the production line, which can cause delays to the customer. We've seen in some of our research that consumers are a little more tolerant and patient now when it comes to customer service because of COVID, but there are still limits. The implication here, and I think many businesses are already doing this right, is to set customer expectations around product delivery times and to answer calls or emails if you're dealing with a call center or email support system along all the different customer interaction touch points. And the more precise you can communicate the timing of the expected delay, the better. And finally, point number three. Tony and Caleb believe that the balance between dining out or ordering takeout and delivery versus cooking at home is expected to be restored over time. Caleb also mentioned that this is a great time to be experimenting with cooking. So if you are a grocery retailer or a food manufacturer, consider messaging around trying something new. For example, a grocery retailer flyer may showcase a page that bundles ingredients together to make something special. And for a food manufacturer, a shelf talker promoting more creative but still simple uses of the product can help add value while moving lower velocity goods. 
If you are interested in hearing more about food trends from different experts and other upcoming consumer trends topics, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to Bright Lights Consumer Trends in conversation with Element 54. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode or know someone else who would, we would love to hear from you. Just reach out to me through LinkedIn or at julianne.ng at element-54.com. Thank you for listening.